When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Crypto Unwrapped, where we cut through the noise and the hype surrounding digital assets live here on Real Vision every Wednesday. I'm Samuel Burke, the managing editor here at Real Vision, and I'm incredibly excited to have two great guests with me. The first guest, Dan Roberts, the editor-in-chief of Decrypt Media. Dan, the last time you were with us, Celsius was pausing withdrawals and you had an incredible parsing of that situation, so we're glad to see you back in the hot seat. And Ken Arad, the Chief Operating Officer at Solidus Labs, very glad to see you. It's a very busy morning with the CPI number in the United States. If anybody has any questions they want to put to our guests, you can join us on Real Vision's The Exchange, our internal social media network, as well as on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let's get right to that CPI number, a whopping 9.1% in the United States. That's the highest in four decades, the market and cryptocurrencies all went down on that news. The Dow down more than 300 points, though crypto is starting to recover a bit in the past hour. We see actually crypto up to uh, Bitcoin up to 9,281. So just up about 0.72% in the last hour. And Dan, I want to start with you as you look at that news. What do you see that uh, doing for the crypto space in the bigger picture? You probably see another 75 basis point hike coming. Well, first of all, Jay Powell, do something, right? Help out. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm kidding, but I do think that the, the last few months have really called into question the idea of Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. And, you know, maybe the mistake was people ever latching onto that narrative because after 13 years, some patterns emerged, but you know, in the big scheme of time, that's not actually that long. And we've seen some patterns that uh, Bitcoin advocates treated as gospel get disproven uh, during this bear cycle. You know, people thought that uh, Bitcoin wouldn't, wouldn't drop below the peak of the previous bull run, 20,000. That happened. People think it's a hedge against inflation. It hasn't been behaving that way. And that's okay. But, you know, right now, Bitcoin and Ethereum have been more correlated to mainstream assets, you know, to stocks and equities. Uh, especially to tech stocks and the NASDAQ than they've been in years. And you're continuing to see that. So something's going to have to give in terms of inflation and the broader U.S. economy and the stock market for crypto to really come back. Right now, crypto uh, has not been behaving like a, uh, a safe haven asset, that's for sure. And can you know, say something's got to give right now. Commodity prices have been giving as many economists think that a recession is coming. Do you think that these prices will just continue to move in lock with the stock markets? Uh, crypto prices won't be a hedge against inflation the way Dan was just pointing out. First of all, I'll join Dan in saying that the big question that comes to mind is how, you know, is the U.S. government and other governments going to start responding to this? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, to, to your question, um, I think also in, in accordance with what Dan said, I mean, I think part of his point is it's very hard to predict, right? Because uh, we make assumptions, uh, sometimes based on more data, sometimes based on less data. 
it is still a very new asset class, and I think that perspective is really critical. Uh, you know, uh, you know, not just focusing on the moment and not buying too easily into, uh, you know, various axioms that are introduced, uh, because we're still, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very new ecosystem, a new asset class, uh, you know, and there's still a lot to learn about it. Uh, you know, personally, uh, you know, I, I, do, I do think that prices are going to continue to drop and maybe not as dramatically. I'll just point out, though, that one interesting facet to me in this increasingly clear correlation between um, uh, traditional markets, traditional assets, traditional ways to measure uh, economies and uh, Bitcoin, it really, f f in my opinion, fits into the uh, growing regulatory conversation. And we'll cover that later uh, because, uh, you know, the more it appears that the, the, there's a direct connection between Bitcoin activity and traditional assets, other funds, the more regulators are going to be concerned that, uh, you know, uh, events in the crypto space can affect financial stability and therefore it could potentially uh, increase their, their, you know, their interest in regulating, which is already high, as we know. So uh, just a few of my thoughts. No, I just there, there's been contagion of all forms, I think, you know, not only within crypto, in but crypto. Uh, back and forth now. Those, you know, it, it, we are seeing a real uh, coupling. And I think that that's troubling to people who, from the beginning, the very reason they got into crypto is because they liked that it was kind of its own thing. It's over here. It's separate from government control, regulation, and the stock market. And that's not happening most recently. I do want to get both of your perspectives uh, on this really fascinating insight. Uh, uh, according to 60% of 950 investors who responded to a survey. And we, we look at a report from, from Bloomberg saying, and I just want to put this into perspective, the token is more likely to tumble to 10,000 than it, for, for it to rally back to 30,000. Okay, so we're talking about Bitcoin there, obviously. And still, demand appears to be strong on both ends of the market. You have data from Glassnode that shows so-called shrimps, if we have any on the call, who own less than one Bitcoin, are buying Bitcoin at a faster rate than ever. So, Ken, how do you put that into perspective? First of all, I think it's, it's funny, you know, the term shrimp obviously, uh, uh, you know, makes you smile. But in a lot of ways, shrimps have become smaller than in the past uh, few weeks, right? Because, uh, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the, with the lowing costs, I think that my immediate response every time I see something that at the end of the day, uh, that survey indicates demand, right, on both the top uh, quartiles and the bottom quartiles. The big question is what's happening in the middle, considering that, uh, uh, you know, prices are continuing to go down. And I think uh, that piece is kind of missing from that survey. Um, but it is very interesting, though, because it seems strategic, right? Uh, it's an opportunity for people with less money to get in, an opportunity for people with a lot of money who believe in this. And, and Dan, just on the flip side, whales, 1,000 Bitcoin, uh, more than 1,000 Bitcoin are buying at the second highest rate in five years. Yeah, which, you know, sounds comforting if you're looking for prices to go up, but they're not buying enough or not enough whales are buying, right? Because it's not moving the needle. Um, it is interesting, too, about shrimps, because the truth is that on the one hand, you might think that a dip like this would bring people in and everyone loves to say, buy the dip, buy the dip. But the bear market has been, I think, so optically bad that I imagine it hasn't really helped newbies, the crypto curious, see this as a buying opportunity. You know, it, it, we often talk about the crypto curious at Decrypt and how much we want to cater to them and welcome them into the space and explain the news. And it's like, you know, if you're someone who's been on the sidelines watching this and you were thinking, say, before May, 
I'm ready to buy a little Bitcoin for the first time. Well, you're probably unlikely to do it right now because you're not thinking like an investor of, oh, I'll buy the dip unless you really believe in these assets. You're thinking, oh, the last couple months show that maybe I should just stay out of this market. I guess maybe maybe a potential counter argument to that. I think that Bitcoin has become so big then that there's an element of uh, there's an it's a certain club that you can be you know join, uh, right? And in a way, the fact that prices went down, it's people still talk about Bitcoin, right? Not like it's disappearing. It's not like 2018. And in a way, it seems like there's a just a lower entry bar uh, that I imagine a lot of people are taking advantage of, uh, and might which might explain it, um, because on the one hand. The risk is clearer than ever. On the other hand, uh, the opportunity also has become clearer than ever in the past year. So uh, that's at least how I was reading it. Well, I want to just zoom out now and talk to wider market sentiment. We had a renowned uh, technical analyst on uh, Imran Laka, one of the, our, our most favorite guests on Real Vision. He talked to Ash on Thursday. And, and basically what he lays out are Big falls are par for the course. Take a look at this. If we go back through the life of Bitcoin, right? If we let's say we take from 2011 starting there, I mean, 2011 it was up 1400 percent. 2013 it was up five and a half thousand percent. I mean, the, when you've got assets that can put in those sort of ridiculous returns, you've got to expect the occasional 80 percent drawdown, right? Mm. It's, it kind of comes with the territory, right? So you've got to kind of think of this space as quite different, quite a different animal to any other asset class still, right? And, and you know, people are saying it's maturing and all that. Let's be clear, a mature asset class doesn't wipe out 80% that, that quickly, right? So it's still finding its feet. It still needs a lot more adoption, a lot more understanding, and it needs arguably some regulation around the way people do business in the space so that you don't have these horrible blow-ups like 3AC. Dan, you chuckled as Imran said, you know, an asset like that doesn't just fall 80%. Why are you laughing? Well, he's right, of course. And, you know, I appreciated Ken's uh, optimistic take a moment ago, but I do think that there's an extent to which if you've been covering this stuff or invested in this stuff for a long time, you know, and I first wrote about Bitcoin in 2011, we all say, well, we've seen this before. We've been through three bear cycles, or really four, if you want to count like 2011. There's 2013, and then, of course, first crypto winter, 2018, February 2018, and there's now. So those people say, we've seen this, we've seen this, it's okay. But it's starting to feel a little bit, at least right now, like the meme of the dog in the room that's on fire saying, this is fine. I mean, is it fine? And again, I think it's, it's a hard time to tell people, don't worry, don't worry, this stuff is here to stay. When, when the volatility is what it is. That said, Bitcoin has for now not gone nearly as low as some people thought it could have or would have after it sunk below 20,000 you know, a month ago. And I think that says a lot. And so this period is giving the Bitcoin maximalists a real chance at a victory lap to say, hey, Bitcoin is keeping on. It's still doing what it's supposed to do. And you know, it's not going to zero. You know, Skeptics always love to say, all this stuff could go to zero. Well, Bitcoin has never gone to zero since it started. It's not going to go to zero, but let's see how low it gets and what might it take for things to turn around. It's a tough time to make the sell for crypto right now. Again, even in traditional markets that have been around, you know, depending how you look at it philosophically for either uh, millennia or century, centuries or decades, 
uh, we can't always predict what is going to happen based on what we, what has happened before. It's a classic human natural error, just as uh, our tendency towards optimism is, right? Um, so, you know, I think it's a fair uh, principle to work with when you work, when you invest in anything that, you know, you always have to be careful. Uh, you know, Bitcoin, crypto and, you know, Bitcoin and crypto in general is a very, very high opportunity markets. We probably all know people who became billionaires and millionaires over the past few years. Uh, but it's also the reason there's so much opportunity is that there's so much risk. Um, and, and you know, I think the problem is that we sometimes tend to forget that when we become, you know, when things are going very well for a very long time, especially our generation, right? We haven't really lived as adults as through a full recession, right? It's sometimes easy to forget that there are times where it's very hard to make money. There are times, uh, et cetera. So, um, you know, I think that it's part of a maturation process. Uh, I think that just as happened in 2018, uh, it's it's going to clean the air a little bit. It's going to allow people to in invest in infrastructure. It's going to keep the people who are thinking long terms, whether they're platforms or investors, uh, you know, uh, in the game and, and give them time to optimize. And um, it's, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for regulators to step in uh, because, you know, uh, you know, regulation doesn't stop when markets are slower. Usually it actually increases. Uh, and I'll stop at that. Uh, well, just to let everybody know that Imran Laka will be right here on Crypto Unwrapped next week. Uh, you talked about cleaning the air, but it's uh, hard to clear the air right now, Hen, when we talk about Three Arrows Capital. Uh, the founders, if you're reading the press, missing. If you're reading court documents, allegations of the folks who have been charged with liquidating the company, saying they're not around. But then there was a tweet sent out by co-founder Shu Su. Say, basically breaking his silence all of a sudden, you know, he is uh, he is out there tweeting, quote, sadly, our good faith to cooperate with liquidators was met with baiting. Hope that they did exercise good faith with the Starkware token warrants. Dan, what's your reporting saying about where the co-founders uh, of 3AC are? Well, first of all, um, Su Zhu, you know, who was previously seen as one of these big oracles on, on crypto Twitter, you know, quite a fall which has happened with a number of these figures. I mean, maybe the people running big investment firms shouldn't also try to be personalities on Twitter, right? I mean, Alex Mashinsky of Celsius, um, the, the folks from Voyager, you know, Do Kwan of Terra. So Suju hadn't tweeted in a month. Now he comes out and, and tweets this response saying that the liquidators were baiting them. Notice that in his response, he doesn't say where they are. So the court document says that Suju and Kyle Davies are missing. And it also says that they showed up at an office for 3AC and that the office was abandoned. Not great. Not what you want to see. Doesn't inspire much confidence. Now, just yesterday, a New York bankruptcy judge uh, basically ruled that the lawyers for the liquidators have full uh, access and control to 3AC's assets and can subpoena Suju and Kyle Davies. There's one wrinkle there. Not so easy necessarily to get access to crypto wallets. And I haven't really seen an answer for that. You know, we have a reporter who's trying to look through the court transcript on that. So just because the the judge, you know, went in favor of the liquidators attorneys and said, you know, go ahead and take over and do whatever you want. That doesn't mean that they'll actually get access to the funds. So it's fascinating. This is now playing out in court. And, you know, if you want to zoom out, what viewers should understand is just that, as as Ken said, we're going to see a shaking out because of this market. We're going to see um, speculators and firms that acted as though it was an up-only environment, 
um, get beaten down and, and in some cases disappear. You know, we saw Terra collapse, then Celsius, then Voyager, then 3AC. Uh, the CEO of BlockFi is out there trying to distance BlockFi from those names and saying, don't mention us in the same breath because those things shut down. We got acquired. Okay. It got acquired at 8% of its valuation in a fire sale. But, you know, we're going to see the wheat get separated from the chaff during this bear market. But that's not the same as saying that, you know, everything's going to collapse and, and crypto's done. A lot of strong, smart companies that didn't spend profligately uh, when things were good will survive and thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That was a great rundown. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, you know, I think that uh, it's, you know, I keep on thinking about 2008. And, you know, if I, you know, uh, I've watched uh, The Big Short three times, I think I still probably can't explain everything. It was a very obviously complex uh, a, a scenario that led to that collapse. But I think a theme there was a lack of ability to understand risk associated with increasingly complex layers over layers of financial products and in investment opportunities, et cetera. Uh, it's very scary, uh, you know, especially when you think about all of that list of new products that were very exciting, very companies that were very, very exciting. I would even say inspiring, you know, in some cases. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you don't know that nothing, that something actually works until it worked for a long time. Um, and I think one theme going throughout this, you know, and kind of re referencing the, the slightly coy or maybe, uh, you know, dodgy uh, comments and the fact that, uh, you know, the, the, the three arrows were not etc. One thing that I try to remind myself is that sunlight is the best disinfectant. It's a, it's a company value of ours. I take it very seriously. It's, it's tattooed on my arm. And essentially, I think one thing that I'm learning from all of this is that one of the number one things that I look at when I look at projects today is how transparent they are, how 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 um, how how willing they are to answer questions about their strategy. Uh, the way I see it, the more aggressive responses are to uh, to challenges from the media on Twitter, uh, the more uh, suspicious it is. Um, and you know, and and it does turn out, unfortunately, that oftentimes when things go up and up and up, uh, but it's not quite clear how, uh, then you know they're not substantial or there's no there's not enough fundamentals um so uh you know that would be that's kind of my big takeaway from all of these incidents uh look for the companies that are transparent in a very obvious ways that are happy to answer your questions um uh, you know and and if they can't then you know it's 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 a red light uh you know again lots of opportunity the three the three a uh, the three arrows folks uh, made a lot of money for a lot of people yeah you don't doubt it but there was also a lot of risk, um, and obviously because of, and some people obviously lost uh, a lot of it. Um, and obviously there's the, the question of uh, how responsible it is for the entire ecosystem as we are trying to prove ourselves. Um, and I guess say uh, kind of time will tell how the industry judges them. I feel like in the past it has often been and, quite forgiving. And just to give a definition of transparency, where frankly one is lacking, just because a company talks about transparency or uses right. a buzzword like that, unless you can get it pretty quickly from the front page 
of a platform on their site, then it's not that transparent. If you've got to dig a lot, it, it's not transparent. I want to get to one of our user uh, questions from Paul E on the exchange. That's Real Vision Social Network. What crypto exchanges are still safe, Dan? And do you recommend moving all crypto off exchanges into private hard wallets? Also, what hard wallets do you recommend? So it's interesting. First of all, you know, we cover the news in this space. We don't dispense investment advice. Um, and I don't want to endorse any one exchange, you know, for customers. Uh, what I will say is that I think for people in the U.S. who are the shrimps that you referred to earlier, who own a small amount of crypto, or maybe they don't own any yet, but they're ready to buy some. Um, I suspect that Coinbase is the closest thing to a household name. It's a publicly traded company, which I think inspires confidence for some folks. Now, people in crypto could retort and joke that it shouldn't inspire confidence, and that's fair enough. But I think that Coinbase has done a good job of looking like the safest place um, for normies. Now, that may not be the case for you know sophisticated DeFi traders who are down the rabbit hole and live and breathe this stuff, you know, and spend all day swapping assets. Um, as for moving your your money off exchange, and by the way, I should also mention, of course, there are other exchanges, you know, centralized exchanges. Binance has its U.S. entity. Binance would say, trust us. FTX has grown like crazy. You know, I think earlier, um, you know, you correctly said, Sam, that um, in some ways, SBF and CZ have become the two most important figures in crypto in a very short time. Maybe that was in our prep call. But all the other exchanges would say, oh, trust us, trust us, fine. What crypto advocates would say is, yes, you should move your funds off exchange. You should have them in a hardware wallet. But I totally understand people who that's just too many tech steps for them. You know, let's remember that if you're telling people, oh, come to crypto, invest in crypto, crypto's the future, you should get into the industry. But you're also saying, First, you have to get an account on an exchange, buy some crypto, then you need to move it to your hardware wallet. Here's how you do that. Then you're going to get your seed phrase. Don't lose your seed phrase. It's just too many steps for someone who's not tech savvy. So I still think for a lot of people, well, keeping it on exchange is okay. And it just depends on what company you want to trust. And, and Dan, since you mentioned SBF and CZ, I just want to pick up there with everything that's happened with 3AC, there've been a lot of attractive buying opportunities for folks like FTX. We gave Rao some uh, well-deserved vacation time and he came back with a punch interviewing in a very long, very in-depth interview uh, with SBF, of course, the founder and CEO of FTX. And so I just want to play folks a little clip about how he's thinking about where he's investing a rather large amount of money right now. There is a lot of dislocation and there are a lot of, you know, potentially really good, um, you know, plays that, that, that one could make here. If, if, if you had infinite capital backing up, you know, that, and of course, no one has infinite capital backing up anything. Um, but, you know, there are still good plays if you have like significant but finite amounts of capital. And, um, uh, and so I think that, you know, one of the things we've been thinking about the most here is just like, you know, given everything that's going on, like, what should we be doing? Like, what is, um, where is it most important that we're deploying our capital right now? And what's what's your answer to that? Yeah, so one piece of this, and, and one of the pieces I think has gotten just the most attention, um, has been looking at places where, um, I, where basically you have, I, like, like, like the sort of classic place that you want to look at is something that like would be 
totally fine, except for a really nasty short-term liquidity crunch, right? The closer you are to that sort of like ideal, the closer you are to a place where from every perspective, it's that's where cash should be deployed, right? Both from, from the perspective of like, is there a good investment opportunity there? Probably, but more importantly, from the perspective of like, can you bail out some customers, bail out a company, um, and and stop contagion from spreading in a way which is basically permanent, right? Because it's not like a business that had to go under. Like this is just like, you know, there was going to be effectively an economically inefficient um, crunch in a business because of short-term conditions. So that sort of is a platonic ideal that we're looking for above everything else. And of course, nothing is a platonic ideal, right? Like everything is actually nuanced, and you know, everything at the end of the day. Um, it, it, it's all shades of gray and, you know, we understand that and we're not sort of like looking only at perfect systems. Um, but I, uh, but, but that's sort of where we start. So mixing some altruism there with some opportunity, Dan, you interviewed CZ, the CEO of Binance. He actually disagreed with SBS uh, bailout approach. What did he tell you? Well, so, you know, CZ, first of all, said, let's be careful about the word bailout. And I've seen some people say the same. Oh, is it a bailout if you're buying a company that has insolvency issues? I think it's fair to call these bailouts personally, but people can complain or, or disagree. Um, what CZ specifically told us, and later he said, actually, maybe you will see Binance do similar deals. So never say never. I do think part of this is a little bit of grandstanding between two rivals, you know, but he specifically commented after we asked him about the deal for Alameda Research, which is SBS's other company, his first company, to extend a $500 million line of credit to Voyager. And in the Voyager bankruptcy filing, it came out that Alameda itself owes Voyager $377 million. So this is a borrower bailing out its lender. You don't often see that. And I think some people were pretty shocked to see that detail in the bankruptcy filing that, that uh, Alameda already owed Voyager money and is now extending a line of credit. So CZ said, that was surprising even to me, to be honest. I try not to comment on our competitors, but I would never do that type of deal. Now, he tried to turn that into a point about just simplicity of deals. He, he said, we like simple deals where here's your revenue, here are your assets, and we buy you. But he went on to say, I would never say, I will invest in your company, then you loan me some money, and then I'll loan you back some money. I would just not invest in the company. I'll keep my money. So I, I thought that was a little spicy, but... That's certainly not to say, oh, CZ is not going to jump into the bailout game. I imagine that he will as well. Now, is all this healthy for the industry? I don't think so. A great opportunity is a great opportunity. And there are a lot of questions coming in for you. So I want to get to a story where we can ask you some good questions. Many in the industry see what's happening with 3AC's failure alongside Celsius and say, this is going to create more regulation. Uh, on Friday, you had the U.S. Treasury posting the framework for international cooperation on digital assets. The same day, we had comments from the uh, from Fed chair, uh, vice chair, rather, uh, on the need for more oversight. And then, obviously, we had the sweeping proposal uh, here in the EU, although I'm in the UK, so I guess I can't say here in the EU anymore. Uh, I want to ask you, Hen, we, I want to put these questions to you. How likely is it that to regulate DeFi and CeFi in the same way after this contagion? Uh, wow, lots of great questions. And you know, I made a list of just, you know, big regulatory news that happened in the past two, three weeks. And you went through th some of them, but just, just to emphasize, uh, 
you know, th th there's more. It's, it's kind of incredible how much is coming on the how much is coming, how much news are coming from the regulatory front, uh, you know, these days in crypto. Because I remember very well two, three years ago, uh, you know, times where you had to wait for months until your Google alerts came up with something on crypto regulation. So that in itself kind of speaks to just how far the regulatory conversation has come. Uh, you know, to add to what you mentioned, uh, you know, the FSB, which is an international standard setting organization on, uh, you know, global law, uh, basically an equivalent on the legal side for uh, FATF, which is behind the travel rule, said that in uh, the G20 in October, they're going to introduce uh, more uh, standards for uh, legislation globally. Uh, you know, the Treasury a few days ago uh, announced, uh, you know, put out an announcement on uh, promoting cooperation globally on regulation of digital assets. Um, uh, you know, so there's, a, and, and you know, uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned, you mentioned the uh, MICA, the European uh, Legislative Framework. But I mean, just in the past month, we also had the Loomis Gillibrand brand, uh, the, the Loomis Gillibrand uh, bill, uh, you know, introduced uh, in the U.S. Um, so you know, there's just so much happening, and that in itself speaks to how far the industry has come. I'll just mention briefly that there's a lot of uh, frustration often in the industry at how slow regulation moves. I think uh, when it comes to regulation. Uh, Bill Gates' quote is critical uh, that we should uh, we tend to overestimate what can be done in a year and underestimate what can be done in 10 years. If you look at the past year, not enough has happened. If you look at the past five years, regulators has gone through an, an incredible process of learning and, underst and understanding the space better and providing and engaging with it. Um, uh, look, uh, you know, uh, the, the question, first of all, a lot of biggest pieces of news uh, on regulation, specifically, uh, you know, MICA, uh, the marketing uh, crypto assets uh, proposal in Europe, and the Loomis Gillibrand bill, uh, I don't think they are directly related to the current condition of the market. Uh, legislation is something that takes years. Uh, you know, we've been hearing about them for over a year. Uh, it's possible that maybe they pushed the announcement a little earlier because, you know, to fit into the news cycle. But again, it's uh, it's you know it's I, I, uh, it's not uh, it's it's not that because of the current market condition all of this happened, uh, but it does fit in very well. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, regulation is not something that's going uh, uh, to stop or slow down during a, a down market. First of all, reg generally governments uh, you know uh, you know uh, don't let as many people go, and also it's actually a good opportunity for them to step in uh, and uh, to step in and and uh, and. And while the market is slow, try to rein it in. It's much harder to do with tons of volume and tons of users, etc. I think we're going to be seeing that across the board. And yes, the the fact that a lot of you know for a while regulars have been talking about a wild west. I don't necessarily agree with it, but they have been pointing out real issues. Uh, the industry has been kind of reticent uh, in in in, in uh, responding to that. And then the regulators got proof. I mean, Terra. Is very ter is terrifying because it's an entire eco blockchain ecosystem that collapsed and ultimately contributed to the turndown in the in, in general markets. Right again, it's about contagion and relationship to the economy and financial stability. So we will see an acceleration uh, in the process. Dan, I'll just toss over to you for one final question. Uh, we have somebody here asking, how come you don't really see a connection between the the Bitcoin uh, price action right now and the? that we saw. I mean, it did come down at first, but then pretty quickly rebound. What's your take on that? At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. It's possible 
because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Oh, no, I do see a connection. Um, you know, to be clear, what I was saying is I think that right now uh, crypto is suffering from the same factors and reports as stocks. And I think that that's scary if you're a long-term crypto investor who has believed that crypto behaves differently and is immune to those things. So when you get a troubling inflation number like 9.1% last month, and as you said, biggest month-to-month -month rise in, in 40 years or whatever, um, you know, and Bitcoin immediately goes down, then of course it's correlated and it's correlated in, in a bad sense, right? So what you'd want to see is when inflation um, is rising, Bitcoin rises, or at least that Bitcoin is resilient. And as you mentioned okay, again, but I, maybe it didn't fall as much as we think. I think, I think that you use. I think, I think what they're really asking is how come now? Actually, in the past hour, you see Bitcoin prices up one point four seven percent to nineteen thousand three hundred and ten. I mean, I think mm -hmm. he means the more immediate micro picture. Yeah, well, as we said earlier, if more whales are buying in, maybe you're actually finally seeing the effects of that, right? And again, uh, you know, you look at Bitcoin over the recent uh, over the recent past, and instead of focusing on the negative and the overall crash, what Bitcoin advocates would say is that it's actually been pretty resilient and and relatively stable after that staggering drop in you know the first first two weeks of May. It's basically hugged the twenty thousand line for a few weeks. Well, guys, we don't have time. What well, we don't have time to talk about, but the crypto audience needs to know. Hen, I want to start with uh, your first story. What don't we have time to talk about, but you feel folks need to know? Uh, well, I have so much more to say on regulation, but I guess uh, if, 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 if you like me, uh, you'll just have to invite me another time. But in terms of what we don't have time to talk about that we need to, GameStop, uh, you know, uh, up until, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it was, you know, a year and a half ago, it was a meme stock. It has launched an NFT platform. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it, I think analysts are saying they made about $45,000 uh, from that marketplace on the first day, which is today or yesterday. Uh, you know, why is it important? I see a direct connection between the memeization. Is that a word? I'll, I'll take a foreigner uh, a pass here. Uh, the memeization of GameStop and the crypto industry. Um, you know when it happened. Uh, when, 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 when the market, when, when, when the game, when the GameStop stock went crazy uh, a year and a half ago. To me, it really, you know, uh, reminded of a lot of things we often see in the crypto markets, where you have individuals who invest on a very kind of sentimental, personal level in. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in stocks suddenly operating in the same market with in institutional investors, it's very hard to predict what's going to happen. Uh, uh, so I think that in a way, the people who invested in GameStop then kind of invested in it as an NFT without knowing it. Uh, so it made a lot of sense to games for GameStop to find another way to monetize the sentimental uh, uh, connection that people feel towards it. Uh, and I think we're going to be seeing more and more of these kind of overarching connections between traditional markets and things that are, we haven't seen them before that kind of feel like the crypto market and then appear in the crypto market in a different way. And Ken, just for you, we might have time to talk about regulation. So anything you want to add there that we didn't get to while you were recharging? Yeah, no, I feel, uh, I feel, uh, I feel embarrassed about my charging, my charger, my, my charger break earlier. No, I just wanted to say that, you know, a uh, couple of last points. First of all, uh, you know, I think that one of the original sins of the crypto industry is the fact is this antagonism against regulators. I understand there's a lot of kind of libertarianism affiliated with, uh, a, you know, decentralization, et cetera. 
but the bottom line is that, and, and I work, work, work and talk with regulators daily, the bottom line is that they really want to make this work. They understand the potential. If you look at the White House executive order, it's all about promoting the industry, understanding how you know, uh, to do it safely. Um, and and uh, I think that the industry has, is understanding this. I, you know, I can speak from personal experience. I'm now in Zurich, so also in Europe, but not in the European Union, Sam. Uh, so I can't say I am there. I'm not now under the uh, uh, jurisdiction of MICA, but uh, I'm here because I was uh, at a, uh, a closed uh, roundtable that the World Economic Forum hosted with uh, risk and compliance leaders from across the crypto ecosystem in order to uh, you know, uh, find better ways to uh, leverage expertise from the crypto industry. Uh, there were very senior regulators there as well to have direct conversation and also to find, uh, you know, to suggest ways uh, to work together to promote the industry. Uh, some very interesting ideas that came, you know, that came up uh, all the way from uh, how to uh, support a, a legislation to, uh, you know, more education for regulators. But, you know, the effort which, you know, we as a company that's been involved in risk monitoring and compliance for a few years in crypto, you know, we've we've known it for a while, but but it's really getting to new places in the market, to, to new places. It's becoming very mainstream, and we'll see. Very, I believe we'll see a, a lot more collaboration between the industry and regulators, as honestly both of us try to understand how to enable crypto's potential by mitigating its new risks. That is my tagline for the next uh, couple of years, uh, and uh, that's what I wanted to add. Well, we'll see if you can fit that one on a T-shirt. Dan, what don't we have time to talk about, but folks need to know? Sure. I'll give you my what we don't have time to talk about. It's a rise for Axie Infinity. This is the biggest game in crypto, and it really heralded the arrival of play-to-earn gaming, which I think in a bear market truly suffered. Um, a lot of people pointed out, wait a minute, Axie isn't actually fun to play. The people playing it are just playing it to make more money. This was a sort of Pokemon-style creature's battle game where you have to buy three NFT characters just to be able to play the game. Uh, then it plummeted. Everyone covered the collapse and said, oh, it's dead. But actually, it's starting to see a rebound. And we have a story about this up today at Decrypt because they relaunched the, the kind of style of the game. And now it's play and earn. The difference being that you can get in and play the game without buying an NFT. You can get a free starter character. And I think that was smart and necessary. The larger point here for viewers is uh, don't believe all the headlines during this bear cycle of NFTs are dead. In fact, just last night, someone paid $2.5 million for a CryptoPunk. So yes, the NFT market has come way down because of the bear cycle, but I think that the use cases and utility for certain NFTs is gonna continue. And what we really don't have time to talk about, but you definitely need to know, since I'm living a heat wave, much like Penn is right now here in Europe, and since I'm from Schmitzing. Arizona and love the heat, big time, love the heat, but in Texas, they're not loving the heat. And there, the grid was facing so much pressure that actually crypto miners, and of course, Texas has become a big hub uh, since China pushed out so many crypto miners. They actually unplugged to return about 1% of energy back to the grid because the uh, heat is just so grueling there. So we'll give the market time to cool off. Maybe that CPI number will cool off. Maybe Hen will cool off. Hen Arad, Dan Roberts, thank you very much. And can't wait to see you guys again. Just a programming note. Uh, Rao has an interview coming up with Matthew Ball discussing Ball's new book on the metaverse. Real Vision favorite, Ms. Schneider, will be doing technical analysis with her famous crypto charts. And we will, those are all free to Real Vision. 
crypto subscribers. And we'll see you guys here right back on Wednesday of next week, live here on Crypto Unwrapped. Thanks, guys.